Good morning, church. Hope you guys all had a great week. I'm excited about today's message. Excited to continue the series we've been going through in the book of Hebrews. If you were here with us last week, you know that we started off this whole series in the book of Hebrews. And we talked about how great Jesus is. How he is greater than the, the old prophets. He was greater than the old methods of uh, people used to find God's will. He's greater than the angels. He is greater. And he wants to be great in our lives as well, to help us through the areas of our lives where we struggle, we're having difficulties. He wants to be in the midst of that and to show you and show me and show us just how great he is. Because he is worthy of all the praise and glory and adoration that we can bring. So much more. This morning, as we look in chapter two of the book of Hebrews, as we continue looking in this series of, through the book of Hebrews as we go through it, the thought today is I want you to look to Jesus. I want you to think today, if he's so great, he's so wonderful, he's better than all the old prophets, he's better than the angels, better than all the circumstances in our lives, the goal today is to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus in our difficulties, look to Jesus in our joys, Look to Jesus when we're depressed. Look to Jesus when we're happy. Look to Jesus when all is going well and when all is going bad. Because if he is greater than all of those other things in our lives, all those old prophets and stuff, he's also greater than our circumstances. And he wants to show himself great in us. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. We're going to read through the first eight verses together, and then we're going to go back and unpack some truths that are in there. As we're going to look at basically the four, we're going to look at four pictures of Jesus this morning. And we're going to examine those and see how those reflect how we can find him in the scriptures here this morning. So look with me in chapter 2, verse 1. The first four verses, he's kind of referring back to what we talked about last week. He says, therefore, if Jesus is so great, if Jesus is so wonderful, if Jesus is so big, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just, retrib just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such great a salvation? That's the salvation that God has given to us, right? Such a great salvation he has given to us. The opportunity to receive him as Lord and Savior. And he says here, how are you going to escape this retribution? How are you going to escape judgment? He's given you the salvation right there. You just reach out and grab it. You're not going to escape it because he has given you this great salvation. For everybody, the opportunity is there for everybody to receive it. And we'll get into that later. How his salvation, how he came to us to bring salvation, to bring us to glory. He goes on here in the rest of verse 3. He says, it was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. See, God has always been trying to get man's attention. He has always been about trying to get man's attention to draw mankind back to himself. Since the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve first sinned, and then they had kids, 
and their kids sinned. And then those kids had kids, and those grandkids sinned, and then the great-grandkids of Adam and Eve sinned, and the great-great-grandkids, and we're now the great-great-great-great-great-great-great exponential grandkids of Adam and Eve. And we continue to sin. We continue to choose our own way, our own thought life, our own way of thinking, our own way of doing things. And God is still in the business of trying to draw us back to himself, to draw mankind back to himself. Whether it was by, as he said here, whether it was by the Lord attested by those who heard, or God also bore witness in the, in the, in the signs of wonders, pointing to himself, letting the world see how great he is. How does the author go on to describe Jesus? Look at verse 5. It says, it was, for, it was not for the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. And that word somewhere is kind of funny. It's like the author saying, it's been testified somewhere. It's been said somewhere by somebody. Some of, your, some of the translations say, somebody said something. But really, the, the, the real meaning there is, it's been testified about this everywhere. Everybody knows this to be true. And he goes on, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? For you made him a little lower than the angels, and you crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. The author here is describing Jesus as this wonderful, awesome, magnificent being made for a little while lower than the angels. How God left his home in glory, came to earth, became Jesus, and humbled himself on this earth, becoming less glorified, less beautiful than the angels for a short time so he can go back into heaven and receive his glory again. He came and willingly lowered himself to become like you and I, strictly so that we could relate to him. See, God could already relate to us. God already knew man's inherent weaknesses. He already knew what it was we struggled with. He knew about our emotional state of mind and how, boom, sometimes. He knows our struggles. He knows our joys. He knows our fears. He stepped into a human body so that we could relate to him. And then he lived this life, this perfect life, showing mankind how we should be living every single day. He says, you made him a little lower than the angels, just for a short time. But now you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything into subjection under his feet. Now I think we'd all agree that when Jesus was here on this earth, everything was not under subjection. He willingly set that aside. This is talking about in the future, now that Jesus is back in heaven, and now that the world is under him, everything is in subjection to him. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. This world, this universe is in subjection to him. The sins of this world are in subjection to him. We are in subjection to him. And yet even though it seems like everything is out of control in this world, everything is kind of going wonky in this world, it's important to remember that it is all under God's control. His Holy Spirit is here. God's presence is here in this world. He's allowing some of these things to take place. Why? To draw mankind to himself. 
He allows the strolls. He allows the, the pressures. He allows our fears. He allows all these things that, are, that go on in our world and in our, in our lives and in our minds to draw us to himself so that in our lives he might say, look how great I am. Look at what I'm doing. So we might turn in turn, submit ourselves to him and acknowledge him as great and awesome. What are people going to find when they look for the authentic Jesus? Or they, when they look at us, they watch us, they hear us. Are we truly being the salt light that, that song we sang about earlier? Make me salt, make me light. Are they going to find the authentic Jesus in us? Or are they going to find our brand, our understanding? See, our goal is to, as we come, as we grow, to point people to Jesus, to let them see him in us. No matter what's going on in our lives, we need to make sure that our thought life, our words, our actions, they all point to Jesus. So that when we're struggling, as we look to Jesus for answers, as we look to Jesus for whatever the world sees that and they too can look to Jesus for the answers to their problems as well so let's look this morning at four pictures that we find here in Jesus of Jesus here in the rest of this chapter four this very distinct pictures that we're going to see him as the king we're going to see him as the chief author we're going to see him as a brother and as a high priest we're going to see him as a king an author a brother and a king and by understanding how Jesus reveals himself to us in this we'll be able to then point others to him as well so follow with me in verse 9 as we see Jesus is the king who got involved Jesus is the king who gets involved he says here in verse 9 but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This king, most kings, when, when they're set up on the throne, they kind of direct things. They just kind of delegate, delegate, delegate. They direct what's going on. Jesus is the king who got actively involved in our redemption, actively involved in saving us, actively involved drawing us back to himself. He could have left us in our sins. He could have left us just where we were, wallowing in pitiness, pitifulness. But instead, Jesus came out, God came out of his throne of glory in the form of Jesus and got actively involved in redeeming mankind, redeeming us. He is crowned, crowned the king of glory, the Bible says here. He was crowned with glory and honor, setting himself up as the king. Now, when he was here on this earth, he wasn't recognized as king by the average people. They saw him as a teacher. He was one of the Jewish rabbis. But as he walked with his disciples for three years, they began to slowly realize who he was. As he's calming the seas, they're like, who is this man? 
Who is this man who can even, even the winds and the waves listen to him? Who is this man who can take five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000 people, actively creating food right out of his hand as he's breaking and breaking it into the baskets, breaking into the baskets, breaking into the baskets. And then they go around, they collect 12 baskets full. Then he does it again. He feeds 4,000 and they collect seven baskets full. Who is this man? And so when he asked Peter, he asked the disciples, who do the people say I am? Well, maybe you're Elijah, one of the prophets, a great teacher. He says, but who do you say I am? And the light goes on in their mind, in their eyes, and all of a sudden it all comes to culmination as all the experience, things they've experienced over the past seven couple of years, it all comes to that point, that climax. They say, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah who's come to save his people. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Look what it says there in verse 9. And why did he come? It says there, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Do you get that? His involvement was tasting death. His involvement was doing it for us so we wouldn't have to do it. His involvement was dying for our sins. His involvement was taking my sins on his shoulders and dying on my behalf so that I would not have to face that spiritual death, so that I would not have to face the judgment. He faced the judgment on my behalf for me. He faced the judgment for you. I love that verse. So by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Don't just pass by that verse. Elsewhere, Paul writes, while we were still yet stuck in our sins, Christ died for us. That's what this author is saying here. By the grace of God, he might taste death for you you and you and me so that we would not have to do it he literally took upon himself the punishment we deserve because of our sinfulness God turned his face away from Jesus on the cross Jesus hung there on the cross taking upon himself our punishment and God turns his face away because God the Father cannot look at the sin he loathes it Literally, Jesus is God, so this is Jesus, and, and God is self-loathing because he's taken upon himself all of our sins. So I can't stand to have this on me, but I'm doing it because of my love for you and I. He takes upon himself our sins. He's the king who got involved. Number two, he's the chief author of our salvation. Look at verse 10. It says, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified all have one source. First of all, look at this. It says, for, by, for whom and by whom all things exist. This world, all that was created, was created by God for his own glory. 
Not so that you and I might have nice trees to look at, grass to play in, or sandboxes, or beautiful wind, or water. This stuff that around us was not created for you and I. It was created to bring glory to God. Just as, he goes on, his purpose was to bring many sons to glory, you and I. When Jesus died, his purpose is to bring as many sons of man to the glory as possible. That means bringing us to himself, to see us become better, to see us become more Christ-like, to find us humbling ourselves and committing ourselves to him. That's his purpose. That's his, that's his plan. As the chief author, literally that the word, the founder there in my translation, other, other translations have other words there. My translation says founder literally means the chief author, the prime author, or the strategist, or the head general of an army. The one who's devising the plan. That's who God is. He's the one devising the plan. When we lived in South Korea, we lived outside one of the military bases, and every year they'd run two or three exercises. Uh, and a big, massive one was called Full Eagle. And they'd be out there with gas masks, there's planes flying overhead, guys are out there with their guns, pretending to shoot one another. And there, there's this massive exercise for two weeks, playing war. We hear sirens going off at all different times of the day and night as they simulate different battles. Somebody had to devise the strategy. Somebody had to devise and plan that whole week-long exercise. That was the chief author of that exercise. But that's nothing compared to the strategy that God planned to bring us to himself. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned. He goes through the whole Old Testament Preparing the way, laying down the strategy so that when Jesus appears on the scene, the world is ready. When Jesus appeared on the scene, the world was ready to hear the truth. Not that people couldn't get saved in the Old Testament. Not that they couldn't humble themselves and become followers of God in the Old Testament. But the strategy was laid out. Satan thought he won. And as Satan thought he won on the cross... Really, he lost. We know the end of the story. You can look in the book of Revelation. We see God wins. We win. The strategy is perfect. If Satan was smart, he he would have read the end too. He has read the end. That's why he's fighting against it. He knows where he's going to go. He knows what his future holds. And he wants to take as many people with him as possible to create as much disruption in our world as possible, to create as much discouragement and anger and angst as possible, so he can take as many people with him as possible to thumb his nose at God's face. God is the chief author for whom and by whom all things exist because they all point to him. His plan to bring many sons to glory, literally to redeem us. To redeem us. Not to conquer us. Not to say, oh, it's okay. Like we do a baby. It's okay. Stop crying. 
not to come with us. He came in this world to redeem us, to draw us back to himself. He brought us in, he came into the world to sanctify us. He goes on to say, says verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That source is Jesus. He is the source. He is the pure essence. He is coming into this world to glorify through our lives, to sanctify us, to draw us into himself, to make us more like him so that he might get the glory, to bring more sons into glory by redeeming us. So ultimately, think about it. Satan's goal is to thumb his nose at God by drawing, taking as many people in hell with him as possible. The turnaround is God's saving those people left and right, saving those people left and right. He's bringing them out of hell. He's bringing them out of their sinfulness and bringing them out of all that and making righteous people, making holy people. In the Old Testament, as, as Satan goes and he stands before God, and he's, God says, where have you been? What have you been doing? I've been walking to and fro over the face of the earth, seeing what I can see. And I've seen a lot of bad things, God. God says, well, you consider my servant Job? Well, he only serves you because you bless him. God says, okay, challenge accepted. You can touch him. You can take his family. You can take his wealth. You can take his health. Just don't take his life. Job comes out of that experience as bad as it was. As bad as that was. And I would never wish what Job went through on anybody. It was horrible. Job came out of that as a light, as an example of what God has done. He came out of that more sanctified, more like God than he was going into it. As he struggled and went through all of that loss, he came out of it praising and glorifying God. So God can say, yeah, I thought my nose was you saved. You thought you had him, you thought you had him licked. You thought that he was going to turn and curse me. You thought he was going to turn his back on me. Challenge accepted. Jesus came to bring many sons to glory. See, he is the source of our salvation and our sanctification. Sanctification is a big word for means to be set apart, to be made holy. So he is constantly allowing us to fall into situations, constantly putting us in situations so that we can learn to become more like him, to become more holy. He is the source of that. Imagine the headwaters of a great river. The purest water coming out, the spring flowing out. He is the source. Down the river, it might get muddy, it might get dirty, stuff may flow in from outside, but Jesus is that source, that spring that comes up out of the water. He is the source of righteousness. He is the source of our sanctification. He is the source of our salvation. You know, as we work together as the body of Christ, to let God work in one another. We encourage and challenge one another. We exhort one another to good works. We exhort one another to speak well. We exhort one another to get into God's word. That's why it's so important to spend time together as the body of Christ. The more we spend time together, the more we get encouraged, the more I get challenged to make sure that I'm living the right way because I want somebody else to follow Jesus like that as well. 
The more we spend time on it together, we can be challenged, we can be encouraged, we can be exhorted together to walk faithfully in our faith. That's why our mission statement here at Grace Life is we exist to lead others into a growing relationship with Jesus and equip them to serve. We want to lead others. We don't coerce them. We don't twist their arms. We don't force them into a mold. We don't lead them to understand who Jesus is into this growing relationship with Jesus Christ where they're learning from his word, they're learning from each other, they're learning by coming to worship, they're learning from all that goes on here into this growing relationship. And we try to equip you to so you can eventually serve and go on and serve into other capacities. We want to give you the tools, we want to give you the knowledge of God's word to help you discover what it is that God wants you to do so you can go on and serve and do what God wants you to do. It's a simple process. It's a simple statement, a tough process. But by doing this, we get to participate in bringing glory to God. The only thing we're ever going to take to heaven with us is each other. I'm not going to take my car. I'm not going to take my stuff. I'm not going to take my good looks. No laughing. None of that is going to come with us. None of my material, material possessions are going to come with us. The only thing we get to take to heaven with us is each other, is people. Our, our stuff stays behind. We get to go and hang out together in eternity for all of, in heaven for all of eternity. And that's exciting. So Jesus is a king. He's a chief author of our salvation. Thirdly, he's a brother who is not ashamed. He is that brother who is not ashamed. I'm the oldest in my family, the oldest of, of the siblings in my family. Oftentimes, when you have a younger brother or sister, there are times when you're ashamed of things they say, things they do. There's little smirks I see going on in the audience around here. Everybody's, you got something in your mind where you've maybe been embarrassed or ashamed by something your younger brother or sister has done or said. It's natural. My little brother, he's four years behind me. There are times I just did not want him with me. But my parents still said, take him with you to youth group. I don't want to take him with me to youth group. He embarrasses me. Take him with you to youth group. Okay. And then our littlest brother, he's six years behind now, so 10 years between he and I. Man, I used to enjoy beating up on him. But you know what? Jesus says, I am not ashamed. He is that brother who's not ashamed of us. Look what he says at the end of verse 11 and 12. He says, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. He says, I'm bringing you to salvation. I'm bringing you to, to glory. I'm, I'm letting... I'm doing something wonderful in your life so I can tell others what's going on in your, with you. I'm doing something wonderful. I want to share what God is doing in your life with others around you. I said, I'm going to share about you in the midst of congregation. I'm going to sing your praise. Verse 13. He says, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given to me. Verse 14. Since therefore the children share in, in flesh and blood, 
He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Jesus says, I'm that brother who is not ashamed of you. I come alongside and sing your praises. I come alongside and become that big brother who encourages you. I become that big brother who challenges you. I become that big brother who wants to shout what you're doing to the, all those around. And I love it, verse 16, he says, for surely it's not the angels that he helps. Who has Jesus come to help? The offspring of Abraham, you and I. The angels had their own deal going. The angels were off by themselves. The angels were watching what God was doing in our lives. The angels are watching how he's interacting with his creation and they're jealous. They're in awe that we get to have this relationship with God that they don't have. Because we were made in the image of God. Jesus said, I came to be that big brother, not to the angels, but to the offspring of Abraham. That we in turn get to repeat that back, as Paul writes in Romans 1.16. says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, Jesus is not ashamed of us. He came to shout from the mountaintops, from the rooftops, all that God is doing in our lives. And in turn, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he brings into our lives. We get to shout that from the rooftops to all those around who are going to listen. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. And he's bringing us into this deeper relationship with him. And this salvation is available to all who believe, Paul writes, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. There's nobody that is kept apart, kept away from this salvation. It's available to everybody. So Jesus is the king who got involved. He's the chief author of our salvation. He's a brother who's not ashamed. And lastly, Jesus is the high priest who can help. He's the high priest who can help. As we look to Jesus. Verse 17, he says, Therefore he has been... He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people in service to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help all those who are being tempted. See, Jesus is our high priest interceding on our behalf before the Father. He intercedes for us to the Father. 
the high priest at that time in the temple. Once a year, the high priest gets to go into the holiest holies, the most holy place in the temple. And he makes an offering in there for the, that the sins of the people of Israel might be covered. He makes an offering in the, in the, over the Ark of the Covenant. Once a year, the high priest gets to go in there to intercede. And yet, Jesus is our high priest, interceding on our behalf every single day. When I mess up, Jesus intercedes. When I fall down, Jesus intercedes. When there's something I need, Jesus intercedes. When I'm joyful and happy, Jesus comes alongside and says, I'm, that's great, let me go tell my dad about it. He intercedes. You see that word propitiation there in verse 17? That's a big word. Propitiation. Some translations may say atonement. You may say atonement in your translation. Basically, it means God's anger was taken away because the penalty was paid. God's wrath was removed from us because Jesus himself paid the price. So that word, it says, Jesus is our propitiation. Jesus was the payment. Jesus was the payment for our sins, for our wrongdoing, so that the wrath of God might be removed from me. I love it. Jesus made atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus made atonement for you and I. Jesus paid my price, paid for my penalty. He paid for my sins because I couldn't pay it. There's no way that I was ever going to be able to pay for my sins. So Jesus came as my high priest and paid for my sins. So the wrath, the anger of God might be removed from me. He paid the price. He suffered. He endured the temptation. See, he is able and he is willing to help. He did for us what we could not do. He is the helper. He comes alongside and says, you're, you're stuck in mud. You're stuck in the quicksand. You're sinking. Fast, the more you move, the faster you're going to sink. Let me get you out. Let me get you out of that quicksand. And so what he does, he jumps into the quicksand, pushes us to the edge, and gets us out. And he stays in there, in that quicksand, and pays the price while we went free. So the question today, do you look to Jesus and find hope? Do we look to Jesus and find, see him as our king? Do we look to Jesus and see him as the author of our salvation? Do we look to Jesus and see him as our brother? Who's not ashamed of us, but rejoices in us? Do we look to Jesus and see him as our high priest? Who is the one bringing atonement for our sins? How do you identify with Jesus today? 
Which one of those pictures most grabs your attention? What's your need? Are you going through a struggle right now in your life? Maybe you're saying, Jesus, I wish you'd show up as my brother. I've messed up. I've gotten into some stuff I don't need to get into. And you're afraid to go before God again. You're afraid to open up God's word because you know as soon as you open up God's word and you spend time in prayer, you're going to be reminded of what you've done wrong. Who is it that's bringing the reminding? Satan. See, when Jesus saves you, when he, re he redeems you, your sins are gone. All of your past sins, all your present, all your future sins are gone. They're all forgiven. So when you come to God and say, God, you remember what I did this morning? He says, nope. You're already forgiven. It's Satan the one reminding you of those things. Telling you what a dirty, rotten scoundrel you are. It is Satan the one who brings back. He is the accuser. So maybe this morning you see Jesus as the brother who's not ashamed of you. He says, you know, I know you said you did some stuff that was bad. Come alongside. Let's go for a walk. Let me be your brother. Maybe you see Jesus as the king, the king who gets involved in your life, the one who gets actively involved in your day-to-day -day operations, seeking Jesus as the king who got involved in bringing your salvation. It didn't just happen. Seeing your life on this, on this pattern, he says, I want to bring you to glory. I want to bring you to sanctification. I want to see you become this great person. But on the way there, you're going to have some struggles. This isn't a utopia we live in. Life is not just perfect. And you can see God as his chief author, the strategist, who's designing and working out all the areas of your life so that you might become more like him. Maybe you see God as this high priest who intercedes on your behalf. I don't know what your need is today. Let me bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute. As you have these pictures in your mind of Jesus. This morning as you sit here, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. See him as the king, as the author, as the brother, as the high priest. Offer up your situation to him. Look to him now. He is there waiting for you. He's there waiting for you to call on him. Take just a couple minutes. And internally, just look to him and find him there. this morning as we sit here thinking about our lives and the areas that need to be recommitted to you, areas that we've not submitted to you, Father God. I pray that we would this morning humble ourselves and recommit 
to not take, try to take control of our own lives, Lord, but submit, it, submit them all to you. Every area of our lives. But we know that you are willing and able to come alongside to bring healing and restoration. You are willing and able to come alongside and to remove the fear and doubt, anxiety and anger. You want to come alongside and rejoice with us over the victories. This morning, Lord God, we want to give it all to you, to trust you, to become more like you. The author, the completer, the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand right now and sing one final song as Kirst is going to lead us. One final song this morning. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God. May I be like you as we stand together and sing this final song. start children's church up again so I, I know the kids are all looking forward to that parents are looking forward to that and the teachers are now looking forward to that as they've been working on the details right teachers you're looking forward to that yes we're looking <laughs> no they are we're looking forward to also next uh, Sunday we'll start up our coffee and donuts and that kind of stuff again so make sure you come early we'll have it up and ready to go by uh, 9 30 in the morning so make sure you come early so you can enjoy some fellowship time together as we'll have uh, coffee and donuts up there ready to go. Uh, only one donut standing. <laughs> Just kidding. Standing's good. I should say one donut, Kyla. <laughs> so we'll have that ready to go. So come early, enjoy the fellowship time together. It's going to be great getting back to a little more normality again. Also, a week from tomorrow is our Labor Day picnic out here from 11 to 2. So we're going to enjoy a time. Bring, uh, bring some sides. We'll all share those together. Bring whatever meats you want for your family. Bring enough food for you plus one more person. We don't want anybody to go away hungry. So please, we'll have drinks. The church will provide drinks and stuff. We'll bring, bring some food, chips, side dishes, whatever you like. A little kimchi, a little sushi, uh, whatever else you like to munch on. It's going to be some good stuff. Uh, so that'll be Monday, Labor Day Monday out here from 11 to 2. We'll have the grill set up, so if you have anything you want to cook on the grill, bring that as well. All right. 
Don't forget tonight, Bible study at 530. We'll be going through part two of our creation study. Uh, together, we'll be looking at creation, evolution, and then the kids will be meeting as well. Uh, the preteen girls will be meeting in the room over here, and the rest of the little kids are meeting uh, in the trailer with their teachers. Right? Offering uh, bucket is on the back table, so if you brought your tithe and your offering, prepare to do that. It's on the back. If you didn't prepare that and you want to give online, uh, please see me afterwards if you don't know how to already do that, and we'll get you the instructions how to, how to connect with our tithe account so that you can give online. That's it. Glad to see you all today. Glad to see your smiling faces and joyful, cheery faces and smiles. It's been a great to see you all this morning. Uh, let's stand and be dismissed in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you that you are on the throne, that you have brought glory into our lives. And Lord, your plan, your purpose is to bring many sons to glory to bring us into sanctification, to bring us, to redeem us from sin. Lord God, today as we leave here, I pray that you would provide opportunities for us to share the truth of God's word with our neighbors and those around us. Be with those who are watching online. I pray, God, <coughs> that they will, if they have questions or, or need questions answered, that they will be willing to submit those and to get those questions answered as we are willing to answer those questions and help them understand the truth of God's word as well. I thank you, Lord God, for all that you've done for us. My king, my author, my brother, my high priest. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed. Yes! <laughs>